Welcome everyone and thank you for attending LOCM Fellowship. My name is Dan and I wasn't expecting to be teaching this Sunday, but my number got called to teach out of the blue, so here I am. I really had no idea what I was going to teach on when I got the call. I figured the best thing to do was to ask God what I should teach on. So I prayed and asked God what to teach on and I didn't get an answer right away. I thought, no problem, God will answer later. So I left it at that and I carried on with my day. Later on, I was checking my email and I saw some of the recent news headlines. I usually try to avoid the news, but they almost force it on you as it pops up right in your face so you can't miss it. Of course, the news was the same as always, sad and bad. Then it came to my mind what I've heard other ministers and people in general have said over the past couple years. We need more Moseses and Elijahs to rise up in the body of Christ again and have revival in our nation to turn back to God so we can have better news. I was thinking, yeah, wouldn't that be nice if we had more Moseses and Elijahs today? Then God popped in out of nowhere and said, why? A little shocked by his comment, I responded, why not? The Lord answered back, did I call and send for Elijah to bring the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt? No, I called and sent for Moses to do that. Did I call and send for Moses to command a drought in the nation of Israel back to me and stand up against the wicked rule of Ahab and Jezebel? No, I called and sent for Elijah to do that. Did I call and send for Moses or Elijah to defeat Goliath and the Philistines? No, I called and sent for David to do that. We don't need more Moseses and Elijahs. They were meant for a specific time and a specific purpose. Their time has already come and gone and it's in the past. They weren't meant for the here and now of this present time. You are. You along with every other child of mine that's here in this present day and age, this is your time. It's your turn to be the hero in the story. It's your turn to be the real you I made you to be. You've been given the Holy Spirit so you can be the real you. Moses and Elijah didn't have what you have now. So I'm not looking for or expecting more Moseses and Elijahs. I'm looking for and expecting better than them. I'm looking for and expecting the real you. Wow, that was a bit to chew on. And just to clarify, this wasn't just a personal message for me. This was a personal message for every born-again believer. So that's where I got the title for this teaching and called it, Be the Real You. God has already seen and heard the story of Moses, Elijah, David, and many others before, and he actually helped write the book, the Bible, about those stories before. So he's not looking for a repeat of the same story with the same characters. Just imagine if an art gallery had thousands of paintings and every painting was the same. What would be the point in going to the art gallery or even having that art gallery in the first place? There wouldn't be. The same goes for us. God made each one of us special and unique with a specific purpose for this specific time. The verses I was inspired to use that shows this clearly is Psalms 139 verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, 
when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So if people are looking for another Moses or Elijah, then they're asking for the wrong thing and looking for the wrong person. They're setting the standard too low. If you set the standard or bar too low, then you start off too low and you'll never reach your full God-given potential. All good teachers tell their students to be better than them. The stories in the Bible are meant for our learning. So what can we learn from the famous characters in the Bible? We can learn what they did right and what they did wrong. We can learn to be better than them. If Moses and Elijah were here today, they would tell you the same thing. They would encourage you to be better than them. A movie I like that shows this point well is The Express. The movie is about Ernie Davis, who was a college football running back for Syracuse from 1959 to 1961, and he was the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy and help lead Syracuse to win its first national championship. Towards the end of the movie, Syracuse's head coach asks Ernie to help him recruit Floyd Little. Ernie had just been drafted to play professionally in the NFL for the Cleveland Browns. Floyd was just getting ready to start college and decide which college scholarship he would accept to play running back for. Floyd is a huge fan of Ernie and tells Ernie he wants to be just like him. Ernie picks up a bottle and asks Floyd what kind of bottle it is. Floyd responds he doesn't know what kind of bottle it is because it doesn't have a label. Ernie tells him right. It could be any kind of bottle because it doesn't have a label. Ernie then tells Floyd his goal wasn't to be the best Negro running back, but to be the best running back and football player he could be. Ernie then tells Floyd, so don't you look at that poster of me on your wall and tell me you want to be like me because that isn't enough. You're going to have to do better than that. You think you can? Floyd then responds, yes, sir. Floyd went on to play for Syracuse, and Floyd beat Ernie's records of career rushing yards and career rushing touchdowns. Floyd also beat Jim Brown's records of career rushing yards and career rushing touchdowns at Syracuse as well. Jim Brown is considered to be one of the best, if not the best, NFL running back of all time. Floyd also went on to play in the NFL and was inducted into the NFL, NFL Hall of Fame. So don't sell yourself short. Be the best you can be. In order to do that, you need to have the right standard, and that standard is to be like Jesus. By setting the standard or bar so high to be like Jesus is what will help us get to our full God-given potential when we actually do our best to try and achieve it. So we've got to be better than the characters in the Bible and strive to be perfect like Jesus, even though we can't be exactly perfect like Jesus, then who are we supposed to be? What God really wants is for his children to be who he made them to be, the real you. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't even know who the real them is or is supposed to be. They don't know the steps to get there, or they have some problems or roadblocks in the way preventing them from doing it. Since the goal is to be the real you, we'll take a look at some of the common problems people are facing that stops them from becoming the real them and how to overcome these obstacles. I'm not going to list them all, but we'll start with four main problems. These four are lack of truth, excuses, not knowing your value and worth, 
and the wrong perspective. So the first one we'll discuss is lack of truth. The truth is God's word, the Bible. Lack of truth really boils down to either ignorance of God's word or wrong teaching of God's word. Ignorance is a lack of understanding of God's word. The old saying, ignorance is bliss, is a lie. Ignorance is death when it comes to God's word. What you don't know about God's word is either killing you or hurting you. You need to know and understand the word so it becomes a way of life for you and you actually live by it. When you really know the word, you will really know God and have a relationship with him and be able to find his will for your life so you can become the real you. Ignorance of God and his word will prevent you from becoming the real you. You need to understand the word so you can actually live by the word. You need to make the word of God your own and have your own revelation and not just your pastor's word or revelation. So how do you fix ignorance or lack of understanding of God's word? Start reading God's word. Then seek, ask, and pray for answers to the questions you have. You can seek help from an experienced and trusted elder in your church who really knows the word and can teach and mentor you on the word to help you grow. If no one you personally know is able or available, then go seek out help from different ministries if necessary to get help. There are lots of resources available today to help you understand the word. The Bible says that everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. You just need to be persistent and don't give up until you get what you're looking for. So start asking and seeking. Take action and make it happen. The other lack of truth problem is wrong teaching. If you have wrong teaching, then you don't have truth. You have a perversion of the truth or a lie. People might think they have truth and that they're continuing on in God's word, but the problem is they're continuing on in man-made doctrines and traditions or religion by only listening and trusting the right reverend so-and-so, which is not God's word. Remember, it's nobody else's responsibility but your own to learn God's word so you can live by it. To avoid falling victim to wrong teaching, always do your own research and due diligence and verify what you learn and hear from someone else to see if it's truth or not so you don't get led astray. Read the Bible for yourself and always go to the word to verify things you hear and learn. Listen and learn from others who know more in God's word than yourself. Don't get stuck and dependent on someone else or just one source for your spiritual growth. Different people have different ways of teaching and explaining things, which might be just what you need to really understand and get the revelation of God's word you've been missing. So that's the first problem, lack of truth. The second problem to tackle is excuses. Some common excuses are fear, laziness, and not enough time. Not enough time seems to be a big issue for almost everyone nowadays. People say they don't have time. When people say I don't have time for God, what they're really saying is, I don't care about God. They're valuing something else above God. This applies to anything in life. You'll make time for what you love the most and what you make a priority or value the most. You need to make a choice and make a commitment to make God and his word a number one priority in your life and do whatever is necessary to make that happen. If people really knew and understood the word and the lifestyle and the many gifts and blessings they're missing out on by not learning and applying God's word in their lives, they wouldn't have this excuse. 
I've even had people tell me before they're so busy, they don't even have time to go to the bathroom. But guess what? They still go to the bathroom. Why? Because they chose going to the bathroom as a priority and a necessity. I know that comment was more of an exaggeration or a joke, but you get my point. You need to view God's word and a relationship with him as a priority and a necessity. Change your life to make time for God if you have to, because when you do, God will change your life for the better and it'll be worth it. When you're living God's will for your life and you're being the real you, you'll have time for God because God planned for you to spend time with him when he planned your life. So if you don't have time for God, you're missing something and you're not on the right track yet. In the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, the actor Morgan Freeman has a famous quote, get busy living or get busy dying. What people don't realize is when they make this excuse that they don't have time for God, what they're saying is they have time to get busy dying, but they don't have time to get busy living. That doesn't seem like a wise decision to me. So the question is, would you rather be busy living or busy dying? Laziness and fear are some other excuses you'll see and hear a lot of. A great way to take care of fear is love. Love is a whole other teaching in and of itself, so I'm not going to be discussing that now. I encourage you to look it up and understand it yourself. There are several teachings on love in the LOCM podcast archive you can check out to learn more on love. Instead, I'll discuss a couple other points on fear, and specifically fear of failure. Why are people afraid of failure? Because they see failure as a cost or a risk that will hurt them, so they avoid it. When people only look at the risk or cost of the negatives, they will miss the even bigger cost. The cost to miss rewards and successes. People with fear of failure are focused on the risk cost instead of the opportunity cost. This is similar to when a child learn, learns to ride a bike. Why would any child knowing they could get hurt ever want to learn to ride a bike? Because they're focused on the rewards of successfully learning how to ride a bike. The temporary setbacks and failures they might have in the process of learning to ride a bike is worth it in the end. The same goes with following God. You won't be perfect at it, so there can be temporary setbacks and failures along the way. But overall, in the end, if you give God your best, you'll succeed and it'll be worth it. God can work with you and bless you more when you make a mistake, when you're operating in faith, trying to follow what you believe is his will for your life, compared to you operating in fear and following your own will for your life or doing nothing at all. You can change the destination of a car when it's moving, but you can't change the destination of a car if it's not moving. God can work with you and help guide you when you're least trying and you give him the opportunity to help you. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. God can work with you and your mistakes because you at least gave him something to work with. If you do nothing, then you give God nothing to work with. It's said that Thomas Edison tried and failed 10,000 times before inventing the light bulb. The point is to never give up because if you never give up, you never fail. But if you do nothing, then you have already failed at being the real you. It's better to take a step of faith and fail than it is to take a step of nothing. God can help and bless you when you operate in faith. God can't bless or help you when you do nothing. Laziness is another big excuse. 
Lots of people get stuck in a cycle or a comfort zone where they don't change or grow. They accept their current life circumstances and aren't willing to change or move to a different position in life. There can be different causes for laziness, but a big reason for laziness is people don't see or have a reason to change. But similar to fear, there's a cost to being lazy. So there is a reason for them to change, they just don't realize it yet. God will always have you growing and changing when you're following his will for your life to become the real you. Being lazy and in a comfort zone isn't part of it. When you get lazy, you'll start to depend on things God gave you instead of depending on God. So the cost is not only do you miss out on greater rewards and, success, and successes in life, you risk losing what you currently have because if you aren't constantly growing and moving ahead with God, then you're falling behind. Time and time again throughout the Bible, we see when the people of God got lazy or content, they focused and depended on themselves and material things instead of focusing and depending on God. So they fell and lost everything. Laziness has the same risk, cost, and consequence. So to overcome laziness, it requires a choice or decision to make a change and do something. Take a step of action to follow God. Knowing the truth that being lazy will eventually cost you and it helps motivate you to action, great. For most people with the problem of laziness, they might want to change, but they still struggle with laziness. The answer to this is the body of Christ in changing your environment. God gave us other members or people so we could help support each other and work as a team together to reach the same goal. So if laziness is an issue for you, find someone who isn't lazy and is a godly person who is taking action and doing God's will for their life. Start communicating and hanging around with them more. Have them help keep you accountable to getting on track to take action like they are. They've done it before, so they can help guide you and motivate you on the right path to getting started and getting you out of your laziness rut. So that's the excuses of not enough time, fear, and laziness. The next problem is not knowing your value and worth. A movie that my family likes to watch as a Christmas tradition is It's a Wonderful Life. The main character in the movie is George Bailey. George had big dreams of getting out of his little town, hometown of Bedford Falls. But his father passes away and George stays behind and sets aside his dreams so he can take over the family business to prevent the bad guy, Mr. Potter, from taking it over in the town of Bedford Falls. George becomes well-known and liked and respected in his hometown of Bedford Falls, where he builds a life for himself. Then a terrible situation arises in his business where George is in financial ruin and George is thinking about committing suicide. Then George's guardian angel, Clarence, is sent to prevent him from committing suicide. Clarence then shows George what it would be like if George had never been born. Eventually, George gets the picture of how many lives in the world around him were affected when he wasn't around. George then sees he really had a wonderful life that wasn't worth throwing away. He wants to keep his life and is filled with joy when he gets it back. George sees his value and worth and that all the blessings in his life were far greater than his problems. There's a lot of people nowadays just like George who focus just on their problems. There's also a lot of people who are depressed and negative. All these kinds of people tend to have low value and worth of themselves, but what they don't realize or forget 
is that God puts as much time and effort into planning Jesus's life as he did theirs. Just like Jesus was important in its purpose, everyone else is important in its purpose. Your life should be exciting and it should count for something. Some people might not know or have an idea of what God's vision for the real them is, but one of the big factors that prevents them from knowing or seeing the real them is their own self-image, self-worth, and physical limitations. Many people view themselves only in their flesh and as the world views them, and not how God views them in the spirit. In the flesh, things might not look good. Maybe you don't have financial resources, skills, knowledge, talents, and abilities. You might not have anything to offer the world by the world's standards. People might think God's vision of the real them for their life is impossible, and they have no idea how to do it or where to start, so they do nothing. The problem here is people are only focusing on themselves and how they can accomplish being the real them by themselves without God. They're not focusing on God and how God can work with them and through them to accomplish his will for their life. So if you feel like a nobody who's got nothing to offer, then you're just who God is looking for. If you have no experience, no degrees, no skills, no references, then you're the perfect candidate for the job and you're hired in God's book. God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. In the spirit, when you're born again, you've got everything you need to succeed and to accomplish God's will for your life. God already knew everything about you and your circumstances, so he already has it planned out and will provide everything you need. Don't judge or base your self-image or self-worth by the world's standards. Instead, do it by God's standards. As one of God's children, your self-worth and self-image is that of Jesus because you were bought with the blood of Jesus. That means you're priceless and more valuable than you could ever imagine in God's sight. So anything you're lacking, God can make up the difference. God is looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. That means God doesn't need anything from you except two things. All God needs from you is your whole heart commitment and trust to follow and obey him and he can provide the rest. Understand in the spirit you're awesome like Jesus. You've got everything you need to be the real you, so don't let your own personal physical limitations get in the way. Following God's will for your life wasn't meant for you to try to do it alone by yourself. It's meant for you to do it with God. Start looking at yourself in the spirit the way God looks at you. God doesn't want another Moses or Elijah. If he did, then he would have made another Moses or Elijah, but he didn't. Instead, he made you. God made you because he wanted you. You're worth everything to him. God has never made a failure. God has made everyone for success. My definition of success is fulfilling God's will for your life. In other words, be the real you. Hopefully that changes the value and worth you place on yourself and you understand what your true value and worth are. last problem we'll go over is the wrong perspective. An interesting quote I heard once was, the one-eyed man is king in the land of the blind. The message I get out of that quote is things could always be worse. While you or someone else may be looking down on you and focusing only on your negatives and weaknesses, someone else is looking up to you and focusing only on your positives and strengths. It's just a matter of perspective. So change your perspective to an eternal perspective and to the perspective that God has of you. 
Having an internal perspective will help keep your values and priorities straight. One way to have an internal perspective is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus is really all about always putting God and Jesus first in your life and always following and obeying them and living your life the way Jesus lived his life. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus will also help you keep things in eternal perspective and look at things the way God and Jesus do, which is looking at things on an eternal timeline and not just the short term of just this physical life. Everything is small and insignificant when compared to eternity. An eternal perspective will help you choose and focus on godly things instead of ungodly things. Your eternity is worth everything. Clearly, God values your life, and your eternity is worth everything to him because he gave you everything so you could have eternity with him. So next time when you're faced with problems or having issues, deciding what to value in your life, ask yourself these questions. A million years from now, will this matter anymore? Is this glorifying God and Jesus, and is this something I can enjoy with them in eternity? Is this helping me or anyone else gain eternal rewards? Ask yourself these questions to help you decide what will matter or be important a million years from now, and the answers will help you determine your values and your priorities in this life so you can have an eternal perspective like God does. Start living in your eternity in the here and now. So now that we've addressed some common problems and how to overcome them, we can move on to the steps to actually becoming the real you. There's plenty of steps or points I could talk about to do this, but we'll go over five main ones that will help you do this. These five steps are follow the great commandment, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, meditate in the word day and night, live by the spirit, and ask God for his vision of the real you. So the first step is follow the great commandment. This is all about putting God first in your life to love and serve him with your whole being and getting rid of false idols or false gods that are in your life. The great commandment is in Luke 10, 27. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. There's a reason God has this as the great commandment. Whether you're trying to find or follow God's will, follow the other commandments, or live the Christian life in general, it is an absolute must to follow and live by the great commandment. Otherwise, you will fail at everything else. The reason for this is this commandment requires you to put God first in everything and love and serve God wholeheartedly. God requires this of us because we need God to live the Christian life and the life he has planned for us. God has to be part of it and first and foremost in your life. Otherwise, the rest of the Christian lifestyle and the plans God has for you won't work without God because God didn't plan or design your life without him in it. So in order to follow the great commandment, you can start by seeing if you have false idols or gods in your life. What I mean by that is, are there other things that you value or prioritize above God? Are there other things you trust or depend on as a source for your life or well-being instead of God? A simple way to see if you have false gods or idols is imagine if God told you to give anything over to him he asked you to, whether it be your job, money, vehicle, house, or your most valuable possession you have, could you give it up and obey God? If you can't give it up and obey God, then it's a false god that you put before God that you'll have to deal with and get rid of so you can put God first in your life. 
seeing this test or example of God telling someone to give up their most valuable possession and getting rid of false gods and putting God first in life, put into action, is when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. God didn't have Abraham kill or sacrifice his only beloved son, Isaac, but Abraham was willing to do it and obey God. Abraham was willing to sacrifice and give his most valuable possession to God and put God first and was fully obeying and trusting God. It's a tough act to follow, but this is the kind of sacrifice and obedience and trust we need to have in God when it comes to following and obeying him. So if God were to ask you to give anything over to him, or if he was to tell you to do anything and you can respond, yes, Lord, and obey, then you've got step one covered. It's a lifelong practice and commitment, but that's what it takes. Second step is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We've discussed this a little bit before, but we'll discuss it again because this is an important step that will help you stay on track to following and obeying the great commandment in the first step. Jesus is our standard and our guide in this life. Jesus followed the great commandment perfectly, so if you want to be able to follow the great commandment, then copy Jesus and do what he did. Listen and follow the instructions Jesus gave in the word. It's always important to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because the most dangerous and common time when people fail is when they take their focus off of Jesus and when everything is going good. Then they think they don't need God and their eyes are fixed on themselves and not Jesus, meaning their faith or trust was in themselves. They were dependent on themselves instead of being dependent on God. Another example or story of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus is the story of Peter walking on water. When Peter was focusing on Jesus, he was walking on water and doing just fine. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus to look at the waves and the storm or the circumstances of life, he began to sink. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus is really all about always putting God and Jesus first in your life and always following and obeying them. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus will also help you to keep things in an eternal perspective and look at the things the way God and Jesus do, which is looking at things on an eternal timeline and not just the short term of just this physical life. We can be far more patient when we have an eternal perspective like God and Jesus, knowing that it'll all work out and be worth it in the end, whether we are rewarded in this life or the next. The point of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus is that you will follow and do what Jesus did so you copy him. When you do this, you'll then be living by the Spirit and obedient to God's will. The third step is to meditate in the Word day and night. Anyone in construction knows it's important to have a good foundation when building a house. Without a good foundation, the house isn't structurally sound. The house will be susceptible to future structural issues. Nobody wants that. The same is true for your spiritual life. Jesus talks about the importance of a good foundation for your spiritual life in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. If you want to be prepared for the storms of life and be able to stand and prevail against them, you need to know God's word. If you know God's word, then you have a good foundation that can withstand the storms of life. Having a good foundation will keep you on track to doing God's will for your life so you don't fall apart and fall off the path that God wants you on. The next thing the word does is it acts like your roadmap. God's Word is your roadmap, an instruction manual on how to navigate through life so you don't get lost and you go the right direction that God wants you to go. All of God's Word is truth, and all of God's Word is essential. God's Word works best when you know and apply all of it together. It all complements each other. 
You need to know and believe that all of God's word is true and is necessary for you to follow and live by. You can't just take bits and pieces of it and expect all the promises in God's word to work. If you want to receive all the promises in God's word, then you have to know them all and apply them all in your life. 10% effort doesn't get 100% results. What was true and necessary to live the Christian life back then is still true and necessary to live the Christian life today. All of God's word still works today, and all of it still applies to us today. God's word is eternal truth. It never dies, and it never fails. It's always the same and doesn't change. If you want to become the real you, then you need to know God's word and the purpose of God giving us his word. The purpose of God's word will answer the question to your purpose in life. The purpose and reason God gave us his word is so that we may know him and his son Jesus, so that we may have a relationship with them and receive eternal life. God's word is your instruction manual on how to live life in God's kingdom here on earth. The word is God's love letter to his children, so they know the inheritance he has given to them. God's will is for you to know and understand all of this. God's will is for you to know all of his word and live by all of his word. God's word is for your profit and benefit in this life. You can learn from the past history and mistakes of others. You need to fully understand the word so you can actually live by the word. You do this by meditating in the word day and night. Learning the word takes time and is a process. The more you read it over and over, the more revelation and understanding you will receive from it. It's how you go deeper and farther with the word in your life. It's like going to school. The longer you go and the higher grades you attend, the more knowledge you will learn, and you will learn more complex or advanced things as you go on. God wants us to always be learning and growing with him. The way you do this is by meditating in his word day and night. The fourth step is living by the Spirit. Once you've been born again and following the other steps, you're going to learn about the Holy Spirit and the nine gift manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why God gave you the Holy Spirit. It's because he knew you would need it. In order to be the real you like God wants you to be and his plan for you, you're going to need to live by the Spirit, which also means using the nine gift manifestations. You need to take a step of faith by simply taking action and doing it. That's what will release the power and gifts within your spirit to make miracles happen. Pray and ask God for opportunities to use the manifestations of the Spirit, such as gifts of healing, working of miracles, words of wisdom, speaking in tongues, along with the other manifestations. When you use one manifestation of spirit, it draws the power out of what's already in there and it will open the door for you to use another manifestation. Once you use one manifestation, you're one step closer to using the rest of them. Living by the Spirit requires you to communicate with God and follow God's will for your life and use the manifestation of the Spirit. When you live by faith and start using the manifestations of the Spirit, you will be living by the Spirit and you will see the power of the Spirit operating in your life. Paul wrote the almost half of the New Testament and wasn't physically with or taught by Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, had physically been a disciple of Jesus for about three years, and even Peter didn't get the revelation that Paul did. Shouldn't Peter have had more knowledge and the better revelation and understanding of Scripture since he was physically with and taught by Jesus? What was the difference between Peter and Paul? 
Paul says no man gave this knowledge to him or taught it to him. This knowledge was revealed to him. It was revealed to Paul through the Holy Spirit. Paul was able to get this knowledge and wisdom because he used the Holy Spirit. He used or tapped into the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues, which gave him the wisdom of God, which is another gift manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So Paul got the best revelation of the truth compared to anyone else at the time. In order to get the best revelation and understanding and receive the wisdom of God, it comes through the Holy Spirit and by living by the Spirit. The way that Paul was able to get the best revelation and understanding of the truth and receive the wisdom of God was Paul spoke in tongues. Speaking in tongues is probably one of the easiest manifestations to start with, so you can start using and releasing the power of the other manifestations. Paul said he spoke in tongues more than the whole church of Corinth combined. In Paul's private life, he spoke in tongues a lot. If you need help with speaking in tongues, talk to someone who does speak in tongues so they can help you and you can start speaking in tongues today. The fifth step is to ask God for his vision of the real you. Once you've been following and doing the other steps is when you can do this step. To do this step successfully is going to depend on you already doing the other steps. Start out by getting still and quieting yourself down and then praying and asking God for his vision of the real you. Who does God want you to be and what does he want you to do? You can pray about this and journal about it until you get an answer. If you're still struggling to get an answer from prayer and journaling, then here's another technique to try. Just imagine if you had no problems, no fears, no worries, money isn't an issue, your friends or family aren't a factor, you didn't have past failures, and you had no restrictions, and had the ability to do whatever you want to do. What is it you really want to do? What is your dream and desire then? Be persistent at this technique or prayer and journaling until you get an answer. You can do it repeatedly to see if you get the same answer to confirm it. Whatever the answer is to those questions, then verify this desire with the word of God. If it lines up with the word of God and it's a godly desire, then really start focusing on and meditating on this desire then. Once you've done that, then ask yourself if you've been following the four steps to the best of your ability while you've been meditating on this desire or answer. If the answer is yes, and if the desire for this particular dream or vision increases over time, it's a very good chance that it's from God. If the desire starts to decrease, then it's probably not God. If you're confident it's from God, go to your spiritual elders or counselors to see if they bear witness that it's from God also. Once you get the green light, it's up to you to make the decision if you're going to take the step of faith to act on it and be the real you. So there's the five steps to be the real you. Follow the great commandment. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Meditate in the word day and night. Live by the Spirit. And ask God for his vision of the real you. I hope this teaching was helpful and that you want to be the real you like God wants. Being the real you might not mean saving the world, but whatever it is, it's the perfect plan and perfect life for you, so it's worth giving a shot. Everybody's life and role in God's kingdom is important and matters, so don't take yours for granted. Take a step of faith and try it out. When God gave us the Bible, he gave us stories of men and women who were heroes and leaders in their story that brought glory to God. 
God intends for every one of us to have our own story that brings glory back to him. Be the hero of your own story. Be the real you who God made you to be.